Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Tis the season once again, and we're celebrating our ninth annual holiday spooktacular by watching Get Out, Jordan Peele's Oscar-winning instant classic horror movie from 2017. I've seen this movie before, but we picked this one primarily to continue our Back to School series. This is another movie that Ryan teaches in his high school English classes. So we're heading back into Mr. Ebling's class, a place that some students might say is scarier than any haunted house. Get Out lived up to the considerable buzz that had built up before its wide release. Audiences and critics loved it, as it earned over $255 million worldwide and earned four Oscar nominations, a rare feat for a horror movie, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Daniel Kaluuya, Best Director for Jordan Peele, and ultimately won Best Original Screenplay. On top of its entertainment value, much ink was spilled analyzing the insightful messages on race and the experiences of being black in America. Plus, people agreed it was just a really fun movie. But does Get Out still deliver the necessary chills and spills? Or would we probably not vote for this movie for a third term? Keep listening. Do they know I'm... Do they know I'm black? No. Should they? (laughs) It seems like... Something you might wanna, you know, mention. Mom and Dad, my uh, my my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend, and I just don't want you to be shocked <laughs> that he's a black man. <laughs> you said I was the first black guy you ever dated. Yeah. So what? Yeah. So it's his uncharted territory for him. You know, I don't want to get chased off the lawn with a shotgun. You're not going to. First of all, my dad would have voted for Obama a third time if he could have. Like, the love is so real. I'm only telling you that because he's definitely going to want to talk to you about that. And it will definitely (laughs) fucking suck. (laughs) But that's because he's a lame dad more than anything else. They are not racist. I would have told you. I wouldn't be bringing you home to them. All right. So that is early on in the movie. That's Chris talking to his girlfriend, Rose. He is concerned. Uh about spending a weekend at his white girlfriend's family's house. And she assures him, no, there's nothing to worry about. (laughs) And then the rest of the movie says otherwise. Yes, uh, spoiler alert, he had good reason to be concerned about that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. I mean, I guess, as always with these episodes, we are going to talk like you've seen the movie. That's right. So we don't even necessarily usually say spoiler alert. No. Uh, we don't feel the need to. Maybe we should. But maybe we should have this entire time. We might have a lot of angry yeah, people. people. <laughs> like, they don't keep tell listening you. to episodes. This one, too? Maybe they that's spoiled why it again. people say stay away from that podcast yeah. because they really get into spoiler territory yeah. on there. And they, and they do not they tell, don't you. tell they you. They don't tell you a single time. Spoiler alert. They will not tell you that they're spoiling the movie. <laughs> right. Well, great. Now you spoiled the podcast. I did. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Man. Well, anyways, you know, this is the season. Tis. Tis. Tis the season. I wonder if that's what that's short for. This is the season. We'll never know. But it's the season for the holiday (laughs) spooktacular. That's right. This is uh, ninth annual. Man, we're going to have to do something real special next year for the the 10th. But the ninth is just as as good. It's going to be just as good, right? Because this time we're doing sort of a dual purpose, dual... Agenda, yeah. dual theme, dual theme, dual theme, sure, dual theme there it is. because yeah. we're also still, still in October going back to school. Still back to school. Back yeah, to we're school. still adjusting to the, the new schedule. That's right. Uh, and so uh, we are back in class with yeah. Mr. Ebling. This, we, I mean, it's been a while since we've talked about this, uh, this podcast as a groundbreaking podcast. And I feel like <laughs> it's easy to forget how groundbreaking this podcast is and how often we break ground yeah oh yeah constantly Go, going back to school there's like no episode. foundation anymore it's just all broken ground oh yeah i mean good luck good luck getting approval for any sort of no the permits this is just yeah, yeah you're not getting we, any permits for this podcast yeah because there's be just sinkhole the, pretty soon the ground's too loose it's, it's just been, been broken. it's been broken too much and you know what they, they look around and they say well the good news for you homeowner landowner is there's no more ground to break it's all broken and, and then, then, we, then guess who comes in? We come in. We break ground. 
There's just more to break. <laughs> even even the, right. even the inspectors, just, uh, the, 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 the county, the township, they just don't understand just how you can just keep breaking that their ground. their foreheads. Yeah. They're a little mad, but dang it, they they, they, they think it. it's great. They, they yeah. there's there's something they 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 throw their hat on the ground, but <laughs> there's there's kind of a smile when they it's, look it's back. It's kind at of us. a you gotta respect it. Gosh, you gotta dang respect it, it, they did it again. They broke the ground. So I mean, last episode we had back to school. That that had been never, never been done. Never been done. Broke ground on that, and then everybody said, "Well, they went to school, broke that ground. Holiday spectacular. We at least know they're not going to break ground right. here because what, this what could, is a." It's a annual set tradition. They would even say it's set in stone. They might. It's set in stone. Some holiday people on Reddit do say that. They they yeah. they put it that way. Because, I, I I I look every now and then. You know, because it can be jarring to yeah. have so little. You know, mm-hmm. you, you just feel like your feet are never firm on the ground yeah. because of where this podcast yeah. could possibly go. But then you know, you get to the spooktacular. Okay, we're good okay, for the rest of the year territory. because you got spooktacular, T. Thanksgiving, and yeah, then you've got the the, the, the holiday, holiday episode. episode. This is. We're good. I know. We're, I know what we're going to do. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's interesting that we're back to school because in education, you, you need to be aware of that. How how are are you putting them out of de- disequilibrium to the point that they? can't Oh, you're learn? bringing the theory in, the education right. theory. This is the stuff we we hadn't. We, this is yet another way of breaking ground. And you know what? In. You didn't think you'd hear it on the spooktacular. No, not on the spooktacular. And so we said, well, let's combine back to school holiday spooktacular. We got our shovels. We broke that ground. Right. And we're Frankensteining these together. You know, oh, wow. a, a back a, to school with a spooktacular. What an analogy. You know, got these two great ideas. They've never been done together before. Let's do it. Synthesize. Let's, let's put it together. And I don't know if you can feel it in your recording. The atmosphere here is electric. We're. Yeah. And, and spooky. Oh, man. It's scary. It's, yeah. It's pretty scary. I mean, electric in like a. You could die. The, the, oh yeah, it's that kind. This is it's, very dangerous. The, the the threat is real. Yeah, but that's that's what makes that that's what makes the season mm-hmm. great. Tis the season. Yeah, tis the season for just getting into life threatening situations. That's right. Um, and uh, speaking of life threatening situations, let's talk about this uh, this movie. Should we get into some first viewings? I mean, we are definitely going to get into yep. the way that you teach this class, uh-huh. uh, how you kind of approach it with your students. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do first. But, viewings. but let's do some first viewings. Do you want to go first? Or? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, I I saw this movie in theaters. This is 2017, right? 2017. I think it was like March. Okay. Yeah, because the movie came out in like February. Right. And I was excited to see it. I didn't know a ton about it. I was kind of keeping myself in the dark on it. Um, and we saw it and we're just pretty surprised at one how funny it was although mm-hmm. it wasn't i mean it's jordan peele it's jordan peele so but it didn't the trailer didn't look funny at all yeah right so it was funny and energetic but also how scary it was when we saw it like it was just but it was you talk about electric i i really <laughs> like left the theater being like that was so good so like, you immediately knew movie. this was just oh yeah going to be one that was going to stick with you yeah. and one of your new sort of core movies yeah I saw it a couple times since then before like I saw like it, I saw it before I taught it. Yeah. A few times. I think am I correct that this was in my top 5 of the decade as well? Yeah, it was in your one of your decade. It was one of your decade picks best of the decade uh-huh. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So what about you? Did you see it in the theater? I did. Yeah. Um, you know, I can keep this real short. I mean, I think that uh it came like you said it came out in February. I I think I also probably saw it more I feel like it was more springtime. Um but it was just one of those rare nights where my wife and I had a night to go see a movie. It doesn't happen in the theater. It doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was one that I think I saw just because it was getting so much buzz. Yeah. It was just one of those movies that I think I saw the trailer and it looked really interesting. Jordan Peele's name attached to it was like, oh, can this guy make movies? Because you didn't really know. You yeah. know, like he, I only knew him from Key and Peele. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was kind of like curious about that. Mm-hmm. And then I was curious because it was a horror movie. Like, is he going to be able to kind of pull off this entirely different genre? Right. Where I only kind of knew him as a comedian. Um, it took a bit to convince my wife to go see it because we don't really go see horror movies in the yeah. theater. Um, I do enjoy horror movies, um, but it's also like I tend to just kind of watch them around this time of year, too. Right, right. And this didn't come out around this time of year. Right. But, but you know, she eventually came around and we went and it was a full theater and everybody was really into it. And it was a really fun mm-hmm. theater experience. Um, people were laughing in the right places. People were jumping in the right places. Everybody was just really into it. 
And yeah, I just really liked it. Yeah. But I never actually watched it again after mm. that. Never. Never. I, I don't, and I'm not saying that that was, that was not intentional. I just never, um, there were too many other movies to see and it just wasn't one that really ever came back around again. I did get to the point, I think it might've even been when you had it as sort of your, one of your best of the entire decade, it was in the back of my mind that I really should watch that movie again. But then the opportunity just didn't really pre- has hadn't presented itself. Um, but I had gone and seen, uh, or I watched Us. I still haven't seen Nope. Um, but I, I liked, haven't either. But I liked Us a lot. Um, and so it this movie, I liked it enough to where I was kind of like, I will see pretty much everything at least mm-hmm. as at least at least as of now. Yeah. Jordan Peele is someone that he definitely is I will see pretty much everything he puts out. I'll be curious mm-hmm. to see what he's doing because it was one of those horror movies that like it wasn't just that it was scary, it's just that it's like the best horror movies, it had something to say. So, um I just thought it I I really thought it deserved to go down as one of the greats. Yeah, I was very excited for it when it was getting Oscar buzz and then of course, when it won for Jordan Peele. So that's first viewings. Yeah. But because it is, we're going back to class. Uh-huh. Um, I definitely want to know, you know, like we did with the last, with No Country for Old Men, like why this movie? And then it's philosophy in film, not mm-hmm. just not just a film class, it's yep. philosophy in film. So we got to start getting into what's the, what's the philosophy angle for this on you? And what are you bringing, how are you sort of introducing this to your students? Yeah, well, it wasn't one of the first ones I taught for the class. I added it a few years into teaching it. It came out the first year I taught the class. It came out in the second semester of the first year I taught the class. I've been teaching this class for a while. Yeah, this is my seventh year teaching it. Um, wow. Initially, I use it for the theories of truth, and then um, some, like I kind of transition into identity theories using this movie. Initially, I used the movie Take Shelter for Truth. Mm, another great movie. It is great. But uh, I chose Get Out because I wanted to, I realized that aside from Spike Lee, I didn't have any diversity in my filmmakers or in the casts very much. And that was one reason that I wanted to seek out a different movie. But then I just, the more I thought about it, the more it kind of like, I not only talk about like theories of truth as far as like, how do you construct truth as like, how do those sorts of structures fail Chris throughout the movie? Hmm. But also I teach now as a result of teaching this movie, I teach the idea of dominant narratives in culture through this idea of truth, which maybe isn't so philosophical, but it is to an extent like it's, it's, it's still in the kind of skepticism realm of things. Yeah. And then of course there's a lot to say about identity through like what Chris experiences and how white people view black people in this movie, yeah. what that says about where they place personhood and personal identity and that sort of thing. So, is this the only horror movie that you show? Yeah, I mean, aside from the scary parts of No Country for sure. Old Men, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, when you say you're talking about truth, mm-hmm. um, now are you th- are you talking more about like like metaphysics and like that kind of thing? Or are you talking more about just like? Um, kind of uh the idea of objective truth or yeah like where are you kind of coming at it mm-hmm. um like especially with I'm, I'm assuming with a lot of your students and maybe even with me this is sort of like brand new territory this yeah. philosophy like like, yeah. like thinking of phil- about the actual philosophical thought yeah it's the first it's the first philosophical unit we get into oh it is okay um and the theories of truth relate to truth objectivism or truth relativism and um Within that, there are different theories of truth like that help you sort of be your framework. And kind of the most basic objective truth theory is the correspondence theory that says if a belief corresponds to reality, then it's true. Um, then, of course, the question is, what's reality and how do we know well, what that is? Well, this movie is definitely questioning right. that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why that's, this is a good one because at, at some level, every theory of truth fails Chris. Yeah. Well, and he seemed, it's, it's such a, it seems like such a great example because not only is, is, is he being failed by this, but like, there's that whole idea of like doubting what you believe to be true. Yeah. So that is a a big part of it is just sort of, now that we know what the different theories of truth are, how does Chris apply them and it doesn't work or how could he have applied them so that they would work? Um, 
you know, like there's the coherence theory of truth that talks about like, um, if a belief coheres with your previous beliefs, then, um, it's true. And in this movie, what's tough about that is there are kind of two sets of belief Chris is operating under one that like Rose loves me and would never put me in a situation where I would be in harm. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Based on that set of beliefs, all of his fears are false. Right. But then there's the other set of beliefs that he doesn't voice much. He does kind of in that scene, we just, we played a clip of that white people have the capacity to be racist and not be safe for me. Mm Mm-hmm. And he chooses throughout most of the movie, even though Rod is pushing him towards that other system of belief, that set of beliefs, he chooses to go with the belief set that says Rose would not hurt me. Um, and so that fails him, but it could have helped him if he had applied it like differently. Yeah, right, right. right. So that's largely what we talk about. But I also talk about the idea of dominant narratives and how dominant narratives are formed based on who the dominant social group is. Mm-hmm. And we talk about how those are formed uh, by repetition, by the perceived authority of the speaker, and then by um, silencing alternative narratives. And so this movie is incredibly uh, illustrative of that whole system by kind of rendering that silencing in the sunken place. So like he is literally silenced. Everybody who's in the sunken place is literally silenced right. and their voice is taken from them. But there's another way that he's silenced or kind of self silences that I kind of want to talk about maybe later. Um, the idea that he's been living in the sunken place before he even gets to the sunken place mm. or gets put in the sunken place. So those are kind of the large theories that we talk about the dominant narrative and then the truth theories. And then it always is a different conversation with every class, what their, what their kind of questions are, what they, what they decide to follow. So, with that framework, there's a lot of places we can go with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and your students respond pretty well to the movie? Yes, they love it. Uh, I, I And this is something I want to talk about, too. I've seen it so often, I don't think it's scary. And so I'm always like, oh, yeah, right. When, like, kids at the, when I, you know, at the end of a period, I stop the movie and turn the lights on, and they're like, I don't watch movies like this, some of them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. Yeah, because horror is one of those things that, like, some people just say, I don't do that. Right. You know, more than I think a lot of other genres of yeah. movies. You well, know? and I always, I guess there's, it's always like the second day where I'm like, am I like harming some students here with this? So, uh, but I, but I, as a horror movie, I feel like it's a very doable scary. It's, um, I, I think it's a, <clears throat> I mean, I think it's effective, but I do think it's a pretty tame horror movie overall. Yeah. That's, Maybe I've just seen too much. <laughs> Maybe, and I, I I've, I've definitely seen this too much to a, be objective on it. I've probably seen this one fifteen times or so. Um, and it's certainly disturbing, mm-hmm. but it's disturbing in a way where Jordan Peele wants you to kind of explore that in yourself. Yes, I'll give an example. So you're watching something like for me, and this is everyone's got their own tolerance level. But you know, you watch something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. and you start thinking, "This is disturbing." I, I don't know if mentally I should be sort of going down this route. Right. Um, and I think this is a movie where I think Jordan Peele is kind of saying, hey, even if you feel like you shouldn't go down this route, this is a route everybody, every American should go down. Yeah. Like, you need to wrestle and you need to think about some of these things. Well, what I, I think, and I, I, you know, I haven't spoken to any black people about this specifically, but I feel like based on what Jordan Peele has said and from what I've read from black people who've written about it, that like, this is kind of the movie where if you've lived the experience of Chris, this movie is in ways more cathartic than anything. Yeah. And for white audiences, it's very scary because we've never had, we haven't had to deal with that. (laughs) And we, we are entering with our set of beliefs that this couldn't possibly be what is happening to Chris. And then when it is, we're just like, no, how, you know, so you're teaching this movie, get out, it is definitely a movie about the black experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a white teacher. Yep. So, and you even talked about how you get into ideas of identity and things like that. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you, how do you sort of speak to that experience without yeah. living that experience? Yeah. How do you teach a movie that is about the black experience, even though that's not your experience and kind of try to get your 
students who many of them probably aren't black as well, right. uh, have them talk about it in a way that's you know respectful, but also talking about the actual things that I think Jordan Peele wants us to be talking about right. in the movie. I think, yeah, a majority of my students are white. Vast majority of my students are white. And they have varying degrees of comfort with talking about this. Oh, no, not really. Most of them are uncomfortable talking about uncomfortable, this. Uncomfortable, yeah. And I just really rely on the things I have heard from black people. You know, I don't report it as like, here's what I think black people probably think about this. I report it as like, this is very common to some black people's experience based on, you know, like I kind of said, interviews with Jordan Peele, like what he, what he was bringing into this movie. Um, and there are times where students have questions about it or question the point of view that I'm not representing, but I'm like putting on the table um, and I will say, I think I've gotten better at handling those sort of situations so that when a student has a question that could be insensitive, I get a sense pretty quickly of whether that's general, genuine curiosity or they have a point to make. And if it's genuine curiosity, I will try to bring that out yeah. a little bit more. And, and if it's that they have there. a point to make, I will sort of not shut them down in a way that they could accuse me of shutting them down. But I, for the sake of not hurting anybody in the room, I will like find a way to kind of bring it back to something that happened in the movie or cause almost anytime, if anybody brings up anything that is heading towards racial insensitivity, the movie has something to like, say about to count, that. Right. Yeah. So I can always bring it back to the movie and say, well, the movie presented that idea this way how do you see that represented in the movie? How does that, how does that square with what you have to say? And usually it doesn't. Um, right. And so that's a way to kind of engage with it without entertaining it, but also hopefully teaching the st student something through it. Like that point of view has a flaw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the movie was pointing that flaw out. Um, so the movie does a lot of that work for me, but yeah, from talking to black people over the years and reading things, it's just, um, the movie is a very important glimpse into the black experience yeah. at the risk of sounding, I don't know, pretentious. <laughs> like it's just, there is so much for a white person to learn about being black. I will say, you know, I was, I kind of wanted to talk about it in the sense that I do remember the first time seeing it, having certain fears drawn out of me that mm. I had never considered even. Of course you can intellectually think about the kind of fears that you would have to go through day in day out living in a society that's racist right but i don't know that i'd ever seen a movie that i guess just made that intellectualized idea more real to you yeah because it does such a good job of putting you you know whether you're black or not putting you in that perspective of chris yeah it's this movie is so good at perspective yep um and it does so many different ways of like putting you into that whether it's having you like sort of in the sunken place with him or mm -hmm. whether it's just even the idea that he's a photographer and yeah. like, you know, he's a, he, that's his profession. So you're looking literally through the lens with right. him. Well, I think the reason it is, I don't know what word I'm looking for, not accessible to white people, but important for white people or eye opening for white people is that other movies about the fear that is a part of the black experience are, Situations where white people could reasonably never find themselves. Right. So the threat of police violence is something that you can see depicted, but you can't feel as a white person. Like you can, you can react to it emotionally, but I do not understand that feeling. You, no matter how many times I would see it depicted or hear about it in the news, like that sort of thing. Yeah. But to be a white person and say, oh, I could be the family of a person who's dating a black person. I could be at a party where there's only one black person and I do know what those feel like. And I might've said or acted like mm -hmm. that. And so for a white person to, to be able to look at the, the premise of a horror movie and say, Oh, I've been there, but I'm not, I, I've been but like, I've what is been... that saying? Like, why is that scary? Why, why is that scary? And then you have to see it played out. It's going into a white space and saying, this is, why this is scary it's showing why a predominantly well, dominantly white space is uh, 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 ripe for horror yeah and i think that what he does incredibly well jordan peele here well not and and daniel kaluuya as well uh, in his performance but like 
drawing horror out of spaces that any white person would look at, look at sort of from their vantage point and be like, these are safe spaces. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't police brutality. This right. isn't a slavery narrative. Right. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is just white people hanging out and you're mm-hmm. the only black person in the room. Like, but you shouldn't feel threatened here. But then the people are saying things that you've either heard or they're saying things that aren't like explicitly racist, but certainly have racial undertones mm-hmm. to them. And you're seeing it through this lens again, where you're like, oh yeah, that, that does feel kind of like a bit of a threat mm-hmm. that feels like, and maybe not even a threat, but it's kind of like something like the wicker man where like you're just an outsider mm-hmm. and there's something just inherently creepy or just unsettling. scary or unsettling about being, being in a space where you're the outsider and people are, people have a curiosity about you. That's just mm-hmm. kind of weird. And then everything just seems a little off kilter. Well, and that he, he went to lengths to show them as liberals, not, um, saying like, oh, they were hiding their racist Southern, you know, stereotypically yeah. conservative sorts of. Like, I bet, I bet Dean would vote for Obama a third time. Yeah. I bet Dean thought Obama was a good president. He was one of the good ones. Like, because these are all people who like the idea of black people, right? And that's about as far as it goes. Yeah, their idea of black people and what they think black people should be to them. Right. It's something that you can almost miss if you don't actually sit and think about it is what makes to me this movie brilliant is that it is a horror movie about the myth of post-racial America. Yeah. Um, Jordan Peele, I was watching one of his interviews in the special features and he basically was just saying, I wanted to make a movie about racism. But if you just stop there and said, I want to make a movie about racism, like if you take like, you know, a a, a typical sort of white idea of what a racist horror movie would look like, you're talking about Oh yeah, you just make it like about someone who's being hunted by the KKK, or yeah. like you make it uh, set in antebellum South, and it's a you know someone trying to run away from you know being enslaved, and or you know you just you you can think as a white person about all these scenarios that are horrific, police brutality being one of them, you know, right. or just like very grotesque and explicit mm-hmm. ideas of racism, and just be like, oh yeah, you could totally make a horror movie out of that. Which I thought was going to be what it was about. That's what I took Get Out to mean. Yeah. Was like like you're going to like this place that turned out to be super racist. Yeah, and they're telling and, him like Get Out, or yeah. they're going to kill him or something. Yeah. yeah, but then no, it's a black person talking to another and, black. person. And I just the, especially the first time you watch it, it really subverts your expectation that way. Yeah, it's really remarkable to make an effective horror movie out of the racism that comes from nice and quotes white people right um who even sort of like are very aware of racism and mm-hmm. like on the surface want to present themselves as not being racist mm-hmm. even before like the actual horror happens right as things really get to like <laughs> the more sort of absurd and 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 wild horror levels that we're used to in a horror movie yeah yeah and i mean you said like you know with going to absurd levels historically the medical treatment of black people these oh, levels are not absurd yes right? exactly right so i think that's another thing that is to the movie's credit is that it is rooted it's got footnotes even yeah you know like you anything you think is absurd there's something historically you can point to and be like right. really well, yeah, i yeah, don't know it's maybe about on point <laughs> maybe absurd to place it in a 21st century white family's basement but not a 19th century white family's basement. Right. Well, so I, I mean, I can keep talking about what I talk about or things that have come up over the years, but I also kind of want to just see what it was like for you. Like what watching it uh, again now, just for the second time, did you uh, like it better? Like it more like, I mean, we didn't do like a classic, like how did it rate for you? But are you, are you glad you watched it again? Are you wondering why you haven't seen it more? Like, what was it like to see it again? It was really good for me to watch it again. I think that it really confirmed to me just how well this movie holds up. You know, with a movie like this, I think one of the tendencies you can have, and we probably, we will we will do that in this podcast and it's not necessarily a bad thing but like you can kind of focus too much on the social commentary to where that's mm. what the movie is it's yeah. social commentary yeah I and mean, jordan peele did describe it as a social thriller yes. when people would ask him is it a horror movie so that's certainly something that thriller. has to happen and that you want to happen and you mm-hmm. want you and and it's inviting you for those ways to dig in 
But at the end of the day, it still has to hold up as just a good horror movie. Yeah. And I think that this time around, I was realizing that this just holds up as a really well-crafted horror movie. Mm. For instance, Daniel Kaluuya's performance, which I don't think I really gave the credit to the first time I watched it because Sound I don't really, tend to look for that in yeah. horror. You know, right. like you yeah, don't, yeah. I don't look for... When I go to a horror movie, I'm not paying attention to like, is this a really yeah. great performance? You know, she's screaming a, an <laughs> awful lot. <laughs> yeah, but what he has to do in this movie, um, because he's got to respond to a lot. I know that one of the things Jordan Peele wanted to get across was that he wanted to have a protagonist that wasn't dumb. Yeah, that wasn't like your typical protagonist in this kind of movie, where it's just like, why would you do that? Why would you stay in that house? Why would you not like just leave right away? Um, and I think that. Daniel Kaluuya really pulls off this performance where he notices everything. Yeah. And also that that awkwardness that he's often in where he notices something that's said, but he has to be polite. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of gives like a look that's like obviously he noticed something, but he can't really yeah. show that he noticed something. Or he the way that the way that he is always trying to just appease the white mm-hmm. atmosphere that he's in. Right. You know, like he notices these things, but he's really good at kind of pivoting the conversation mm-hmm. or, you know, sort of like saying, no, it's cool. Or, you know, yep. there's that more subtle aspect of his performance. And then you get to the sunken place scenes and um just the performance of like the the fear in his eyes and, mm-hmm. and that sense of trauma. And uh, Jordan Peele mentioned that we you know when he's first hypnotized and you see the tear roll down his face, yeah. that Kaluuya is this amazing performer that could just do that yeah. every take on the same syllable of right. word is what Jordan Peele said. That yeah. like he could just make his eye cry yeah. <laughs> like that, you know. Consistently, and yeah. You're so scared. You think it was your fault? How do you feel now? I can't move. You can't move. Why can't I move? You're paralyzed. Just like that day when you did nothing. You did nothing. Now... Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. It's such an insanely good performance. I didn't give it enough credit. But yeah, Daniel Kaluuya, not only for the big like money scenes where like the sunken place scene and the um the later sort of hypnotizing scenes, but for me, for the scenes where he's with Rose and the sorts of like three levels of his character three three personalities of his character that come out in those scenes mm-hmm. one is the nervous chris who is going to say something he knows could be received poorly and then the chris who is silencing himself like okay i see how this is going and then the chris who is pacifying rose there like every one of those scenes all of the scenes at the party and then every scene where he tells Rose about something else, it ends with him having to perform the, I'm okay. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Don't worry. Like a level of performance just to survive. And this is where I, again, if we can talk about the social side of things, the movie is so brilliant because it is without hammering the point home. It's showing that even before he was ever hypnotized, he had to put himself in a sunken place where his true perception of reality wasn't allowed. He had to silence it or chose to silence it because it was the safest way for him forward that for Chris, and we can kind of suss out for all the black characters they are to an extent passive observers in their life because they can never fully say what they're feeling or how this is affecting them. And they aren't fully in control of their actions because they cannot act freely. I think we're, one of the scenes I love that spells that out is just him going to the Lakeith Stanfield character and being like, it's always nice to see another brother here. And you've been in 
his shoes <laughs> metaphorically enough in the movie where you, you can understand that even if you're a white yeah. viewer, you can be like, I get that. I kind of get that. Like I mm-hmm. can get where he's just always got to kind of put on this a little bit of a performance or a little bit of uh, mm-hmm. you know, making sure he's aware of how he's coming off to people and the way that you would just be able to rest. Yeah. If you could find someone else to just talk to. Yeah. You see him relax for the first time. And then there, that's a little, that's quite a bit of horror when he turns mm-hmm. around and he's obviously not himself and he's right. just like, Oh, I'm still alone. Good to see another brother around here. Ah, yes, of course it is. <laughs> Something wrong? There you are. <laughs> Do something with this. <sighs> yes, yes. Oh, hello. I'm Philomena, and uh, and you are. Chris, Rose's boyfriend. Fantastic. You two make. A lovely cup. Thanks. Oh, where are my manners? Logan. Logan King. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. That's nice. Um, when they're both in the sunken place, they can't get each other out. Like, yeah. they can't be there for right, each right. other. Whether it's literally in the sunken place or you've been socialized to put yourself in the sunken place. And I don't know why it took me so many viewings to realize, oh, yeah, the sunken place isn't just when they're hypnotized. Like, Rose puts him in the sunken place. Every white character puts Chris in the sunken place at some point. But when he is actually put in the sunken place, when he's hypnotized, Mm -hmm. it's really a matter of tapping into a very individual trauma in his life. Yeah. And what do you think is the whole point of that in the movie, where he lost his mother? Mm and and he has a obviously a, a you find out a very sort of internalized shame and guilt about that because he feels like he could have done something just by not watching the TV and ignoring it. Yeah. I actually think that this is probably the more insidious truth than like the racism regarding their personhood in and this is maybe one of the more incisive critiques of liberal whiteness is the way that black trauma is used for white gains, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Like, because it seems to me that for a lot of white people feeling an emotional reaction about racism feels like enough. If it makes me really sad or angry, I've done something right. Like I can't be racist because I feel right. Right. Exactly. And so, that is where, you know, slavery movies or police brutality movies or paying attention to police brutality in the media or wanting to hear black stories of oppression and how often the stories when we do teach black stories in school. And I've got like real questions about this because Beloved has been an extremely important text and is for black people, very loved by Tony Morrison. By Tony Morrison, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I know you teach, but it's a slavery that. narrative, yeah. right? And so, is that only oppression? I think it, I, I would say it's not because Tony Morrison's whole point is the black joy that persevered, regardless, sort of. Because it's, I, I believe, beloved, is ultimately about joy. But so often, when we add diversity to the curriculum, or when we say no, we have diversity, we talk about slavery. Um, it's only the the trauma of black people and not actually the healing of that trauma, not actually the lessening of that trauma, not actually addressing the systems that have caused that trauma, but just feeling sad or feeling angry about that trauma. And can you tell me that story again? Can you tell me that story again? Mm -hmm. And so to me, Chris's pain is not only quickly used by them, but they quickly get him to or force him to talk about it very early in their relationship, right? Like tapping into things that are kind of inappropriate. Very inappropriate. At, uh, within the first couple hours of knowing somebody. But there's there's some, some sort of comfort white people have had with transgressing those boundaries. White people almost use it as a way to say... To well, virtue to, signal. To virtue signal, but also to kind of do their own exercise of like, yeah, this is me yeah. doing anti-racism. Right, exactly. Me talking about your trauma yeah. with you is me doing educate the work me. of anti-racism. Yeah. It you know? could be, it could come in lots of different guises. Educate me. I'm trying to get to know you. I want to know, you know. Yeah, but, we just met, but, but can you tell me about what it feels like to be a black yeah. person in America? Right. Yeah. Like when that one person says, do you think being <laughs> African-American is advantage or a disadvantage? And 
uh, all the white people just look at him expectantly and, and Dean just says, wow, tough one. But like, is <laughs> right. like, but basic, very clearly is like, but answer it. But answer it. it, yeah. Yeah. And I love the movie for going there because a lot of white people would argue, I'm trying yeah. <laughs> like, what do you want yeah. from me? I'm trying. I and can't it's like, do anything right. You know? Well, you need to understand that you are using that selfishly. You are doing it for your own sort of alleviation and of you're, guilt. And you're or, still not seeing them as a human being. Yes, yeah. She's using even, not just his blackness, but his individual trauma. She's using it mm-hmm. for her own personal gain mm-hmm. in those scenes. Yeah. But I want to talk to, this is something we talk about in my class, and sometimes I can't get very deep with it so maybe we can get a little bit deeper here or maybe not but let's do we're groundbreaking yeah <laughs> so let's get deep yeah. let's get let's get deep into the ground yeah the idea you brought it up earlier but the idea of chris as a photographer and chris is like an artistic talent in addition to the professed views of the coagula group that black people have superior bodies i have had students ask like well they admire his talent and they think their bodies are better how is that racist and we get into it, like, well, they're objectified, like, you know, sorts of things. But I, I want to think specifically what Chris, as a photographer, what's significant about that to you? And what bigger ideas does that, like, kind of get at? Sure. I mean, I think that it serves a utilitarian function in definitely in allowing you to say, like, you, you need to see this from his perspective, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to kind of do that cinematically by you looking through the camera lens yeah. in certain times. It also has a utilitarian function of showing that he's very perceptive. Yeah. Well, um, and it, it, we get some glimpses of the types of pictures he's taking and they're candid pictures. Yes. Like he's, yeah. he, it seems like without them saying it, he is someone who captures reality right another another function this has in the movie is that you find out that the the uh, Stephen Root character the one who actually like wins mm-hmm. the auction wants his artistic eye right and so i think in that way there's this duality we have where we don't respect the black perspective right but we also it's like the sports but thing we'll like monetize it but we'll monetize it and that's something that also is playing through my head when I think about that. That's what he wants out of him being a photographer. Mm-hmm. He wants to be able to see the world the way that he sees it as a black man, but he never will be able to. I don't know. Do you well, know no, yeah. What, that's exactly what I was thinking about it, that like he is an acclaimed, it seems like, or at least up and coming photographer, which means that he has a good eye for seeing things from a true perspective. But when he tries in reality to say how he sees things, they don't they believe don't wanna, him. They don't, yeah, don't, don't want to hear, hear it, right? Yeah. And so what's interesting about Stephen Root's character is he is the most, you know, quote unquote, woke there. He calls all of them ignorant. He respects Chris, talks talks to him on a, he doesn't talk about other black yeah. artists or anything. He doesn't like. Yeah. He's also got the most sort of, quote unquote, colorblind perspective. That's he, what I'm saying. He, he even he's, says like, I, I don't could, care what skin color you are. You yeah, know, I just want I those eyes, man. Yeah. You and know. so, yeah, he's not only colorblind, he's actually he's blind, actually blind. Yeah. to the fact that choosing Chris is not a compliment. And I think you're saying he wants to see the world the way Chris does. He doesn't. He even, the, the line is, I want your eyes. I want those things you see through. Hmm. Not, I want to see the way you do, right? right and right, that's right. exactly the way that. Well, I just meant that. No, I I know what you're saying, but like uh, that the movie is saying what you're saying that like devaluing his actual perspective, right? Yes, yeah, and saying I want those things you see through. I want you to only show us what you see through those things, not how you see the world. I only want you to play basketball. I don't want you to tell you what is it like to be black and play basketball. I want you to shut up and drivel. I want those things you see through. I want you to play music that makes people dance. I don't want to hear you say anything through that music. I don't want you to address issues. And And that's exactly what they want, an empty body without a brain. And what's interesting about the horror of this movie is that the movie might not be as scary to black people who would look and say, finally, somebody has depicted what it feels like. And so feel some comfort or catharsis in Jordan Peele saying, I see you. And then white people see this depicted on screen and are horrified at Jordan Peele saying, I see you. Right. To white people. Yes. Yeah. I see what you're doing. Mm. This is what you are doing. And if you are uncomfortable with this, 
you should be uncomfortable with a lot of other stuff that you're okay with. I include myself in that. Yeah, right. So in that way, the social commentary is the horror for white people. And when has black social commentary not been scary to white people? (laughs) I mean, that's not that funny. I'm laughing at that, but that's not that funny. Like anytime throughout history, black people have tried to tell the truth about their experience. It's been scary to white people. Yeah. I also think that uh, in, in being vital to the success of the movie, I think Jordan Peele knew how to guide the audience. And one of the scenes this time that I was watching it was having Rose at the end of the first night acknowledge how weird her dad was acting, her brother and her yeah. mom would go to getting white audiences to trust her. He was going to put you in a fucking headlock. What is his problem? He's never treated any of my boyfriends that way. Ever, ever, ever. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, and then my dad was my man stuff. My man, my man. I don't think he's ever heard that or said it, and now he just, it's all he says. Yep. Oh, and my mom being rude to Georgina? What the fuck was that about? That was so crazy. I mean, how are they different than that cop? That's the fucking bummer of it all. For white audiences to be able to look at her and say, well, she defended in front of the cop. She was disturbed by her parents' behavior. Like, she is on his side. I feel like the movie almost shows different generations' versions of Mm. white liberalism. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, like, that is is our version. Yeah. Like, me and you. Yeah. Like, we're about the same age, maybe a little bit older. Well, a little bit older, (laughs) let's be honest. But Than um, Allison Williams? Than Allison Williams. Yeah, probably. But, like, I think part of the reason that calms us down is because that's the version that still probably has racial things we haven't dealt with. Yeah. Um, that we're familiar with, you know, someone our age would watch someone like Dean mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and hear the things he says and be like, yeah, yeah. That was that, embarrassing. But that's only embarrassing because that's the way our parents talk about race. Right. Yeah. And she is our proxy into how we talk right. about race. That's no. kind of funny <laughs> to think of it that way, because then the, the grandfather in the video saying black people have superior bodies, like, yeah. for his generation, that's was what, that, was that <laughs> actually like progressive? It's, it's that. Down the generations, what racial insensitivity has looked like, even mm. for well-meaning white people. Yes, yeah, well-meaning, socially acceptable racial insensitivity, Yes, I think. Well, it, you do have to think, I have to think about this, that it takes some courage to be Jordan Peele and have enough confidence in your movie yeah. that you actually believe you're going to show this movie to a lot of white people, mm-hmm. and by the end, they're going to be cheering yeah. for a black man murdering an entire yeah. white family. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that's <laughs> yeah. And I was with him. I mean, yeah. I was. In, yeah, I remember no. being like, "Yeah, man, that's right. He's getting out. He's getting out. Right. That's what you, you know. This yeah. is survival. This, this is, is it. yeah." And I think that's also a bit of social commentary about mm-hmm. black violence. Yeah, is definitely. Like, it is shown as a survival Mm -hmm. mechanism yeah and so taking not only something that white people have felt normal or proud about which is there's a black person at my party uh and turning that into horror taking what has traditionally been one of the scariest things to white america which is black violence and making it something that they're cheering Cheering for and wanting out of a movie yeah yeah that's a good point so i did want to just kind of like um swing it back around to the, to the, like how you sort of talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't know, I don't know if we went deep enough on where you go with the idea of like truth, mm-hmm. I guess. And you said you talk a lot about like dominant narratives and, mm-hmm. but I don't know that we talked a lot about yeah. that. So yeah. maybe we should do that kind of before we wrap up a little bit is just sort of like, you know, I, I'm curious to know kind of what, how you bring that in. Well, basically like a lot of this movie overtly dramatizes abstract concepts about being black and like the dynamic between white and black people it concretely represents how dominant narratives are formed like rose repeats the idea like i think it's weird too like it's not cool but i don't think it's you know it's not the racism that you think yeah it's not intentional basically it's not intentional it's not intentional that's what what gets repeated over and over again they didn't mean it that's not right. But there's also the appeal to authority of their relationship. Like, I'm really close to you. You can trust me. That wasn't intentional. Like, the perceived authority of Rose as someone who wouldn't hurt him. 
And then the sunken place is probably the most effective depiction of the silencing of alternative narratives that has ever been put on film. Um, and then what's brilliant too about the film is like I said earlier, that it mirrors the real life version of that silencing. And it doesn't have to happen where Rose says, stop talking about this, but she does make it clear. I'm not going to fully believe you. So he then chooses to silence because of the way that that was like perceived. So that's Mm -hmm. like the main way we talk about dominant narrative that like it can happen on a social level, but it can also happen on an interpersonal level that you reinforce a dominant narrative in the way that you effectively shut, shut someone down. If you are a member of a dominant social Mm -hmm. group Mm -hmm. and Unfortunately, now anybody who talks about dominant social groups is labeled as someone who's speaking from CRT. Um, so I guess I kind of run a risk <laughs> talking about that. But <laughs> and um, now you've admitted it on this way, podcast. But it's it's also just a fact of life, and uh, yeah. the fact that CRT has used a fact um, does not make talking about that fact brainwashing yeah right we talk about um like i said just how the truth theories can fail chris that like the correspondence theory like he tries to if he's trying to relate anything to facts or reality he's he's being told constantly what reality is and it's not how he's seeing it you know Uh, so it's almost like in the movie it's saying the socially dominant idea of truth mm mm-hmm is kind of the oppression because right. you're not real like all these theories that white people have the privilege yeah. of being able to kind of talk about truth in this sort yeah. of way anyone who's sort of in the minority doesn't really get that privilege uh, right. because the white pe- like white people get to kind of arrive at that truth and then sort of dominate that on everybody else right even though it's false right? even though it's false yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah i mean it's essentially uh, gaslighting by causing by causing a, a good faith application of a truth theory to fail them. Okay, so there's this truth theory that says if it coheres with the set of your beliefs, um, then it's true. Okay, well, I have this set of beliefs. Yeah, but your beliefs are wrong. Right, that ended up like, yeah, well, you're seeing it wrong, right? Yeah, um, or like I have this set of truth because, you know, my experience has mm-hmm. told, and this gels with my experience. Well, your experience isn't right. Yeah. <laughs> And yep. we're telling you it's not right. Right. Yeah. So that's that's the main way. And like we we talked to about how Chris one way like it seems like the way he has been able to form his truth in the past is by checking in with other black people. But then when Rod he reaches out to Rod and Rod is actually right about everything, everything. <laughs> yeah. from the beginning, he dismisses Rod. Chris does to Rod what everybody is doing to Chris. Yeah, you know, one scene we haven't even talked about is when Rod goes to the police. Yeah, and, and I even, do want to talk about yeah. that. Right? And I start putting pieces together. And see, this is what I came up with. They're probably abducting black people, brainwashing them, and making them slaves, or sex slaves, not just regular slaves, but sex slaves or shit. See, I don't know if it's the hypnosis that's making them slaves or whatnot, but all I know is they already got two brothers we know, and it could be a whole bunch of brothers they got already. What's the next move? (laughs) (laughs) But then, yeah, I do want to talk about that scene where he goes to the police. Because on top of being funny, do you see anything in that? I think there's sort of a a, a deeper truth in that of the police being authority. Mm -hmm. And the authority kind of has to be the gatekeeper of that dominant narrative Mm -hmm. just by the nature of the job that's the job like you are there to uphold the law as set by the dominant group right and then you've even got that added layer of these are authorities that even share the identity of him like Mm -hmm. they are uh i don't know if they're all black but they're certainly not there i can't remember but they're certainly not white Mm -hmm. they're all people of color well and i can't help seeing parallels to his encounter with logan with andre that he said, oh, great, another black person at this party, and then they come over and he's well, yeah, robotic yeah. and talking like talking like the group that he is afraid of. And Rod goes and talks to a black detective and appeals to, you know, I'm a TSA agent, I got training, like, you know, it, it's funny, but he's also like, it's, it's the same sort of mindset. This is somebody who I feel like is going to see, affirm me. Yeah, and see they're going to see me, yeah. And then... 
same thing. It doesn't. And I think that's sort of like continuing the idea of people from marginalized groups can be in the sunken place, willfully or not, even if they haven't been hypnotized by Misty. As funny as that scene is, it's also, if you think about it, more scary. The authority, like somebody who could go, is not going to. And, you know, understandably, to an extent, like he's saying something kind of crazy. Right, he's kind right. of a goofy guy. But yeah. uh, I think that that, is, that to me is how that scene sort of slots in thematically, as well as being inevitable to the plot and necessary. Um, so... I mean, second time through, is this one that you might watch more later? Or is it just like, yeah, I like that movie again. I could see definitely watching it, you know, on a regular rotation. I just don't, just life-wise, I don't tend to do that as much <laughs> yeah. as I used to. I would I would like to say I, I aspire to watch it more, um, whether or not that happens. Um, but yeah, I did definitely like appreciate this movie even more uh, the second time. Um, and you'll continue to teach it in your class, I assume, and, I will. Uh, and, yeah. and keep watching it and pulling more out of it and exposing yeah. students to it. Yeah. And as uh, what's kind of cool is that as I, the years go on, fewer kids will have seen it, which That's although it's, yeah. it is, it is a really good movie to rewatch. So every time a kid says they've seen it, I'm like, they're always like, oh, but I want to watch it again. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. I mean, as exciting as the spooktacular is, we're we're rolling right on through. That's right. With T. Hanksgiving, T. Hanksgiving, not so, as old a tradition as the holiday spooktacular. No, um, and 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 I hate to say it, but uh, is this has class is class adjourned? Adjourned is that the class dismissed? Oh yeah, is class <laughs> class classes. Yeah, at ease, everybody. <laughs> but class the, adjourned. So class class. Class, class dismissed. Is, class dismissed. Yeah, we're legally obligated to say that at the end of every class. We don't have a we don't have a bell there. <laughs> we don't. But uh, this has been fun to Good. to dive into your class a little bit and look at things from the more philosophical angle. And yeah, yeah, it's been nice for me to be able to kind of phone it just, in. Yeah, really, really. <laughs> <laughs> Show up and do what you do every as year. As is my want yeah. as a union teacher, <laughs> just really half-ass it. I'd expect nothing less. But, uh, well, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, so class dismissed. Class dismissed. Yeah, and that also uh, that also is the adjournment of the, the adjournment holiday spooktacular. Of, yeah, I second that motion. To, so to so adjourn moved. The spooktacular. So moved. <laughs> <laughs> so moved. Ooh, yeah, that's scary. I got a chill. Yeah, chill. Just, just hearing that. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that formal open meetings act. Yeah. Oof. But anyways, ninth spooktacular in the books. Yeah. So should we, uh, you know, pivot and start talking, about, talking yeah. about talking about the Hanks and, uh, and giving thanks. Yeah, thanks for Hanks. Thanks for Hanks. What are we doing? Well, this is what fifth. That sounds right. Fifth Hanks. I think we were we were kind of naming them all off. So we've done Castaway. Uh-huh. We've done that thing you do. A League of Their Own. A League of Their Own. Oh, fourth. Fourth. It's the fourth. Fourth one. one. Fourth right. annual T. Hanks giving. I love this. We're spreading the cheer by giving thanks, thanks for, for Hanks. Hanks. I feel like I say this every year. I just don't know how this hasn't taken the world. No, by storm. because honestly, like I can't think of a better way to like in my mind. I think of tea Thanksgiving, and I get excited. I do get excited for Thanksgiving. Yeah, like the actual Thanksgiving yeah. holiday. I get excited for it, and I get excited for tea Thanksgiving. Like yeah. equally, they're together. I agree. In my mind. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like they they kind of go hand in hand at this point. I mean, I can't think of a better actor. To get in the Thanksgiving mood? No. And Thanksgiving is such like an American holiday. Yeah. And like Tom Hanks is such to me like sort of like America's dad. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just... It, I mean, the man loves baseball. Like, he loves typewriters. He's like uh, turkey and mashed potatoes. Yeah. You know? Turkey and Tom Hanks. Yeah. Well, I, I've had turkey without Tom Hanks. I've had, yeah, and I've had Tom Hanks without you know, turkey plenty of times. That's a terrible analogy. But it's awful, just but the, it's the, it's the vibe. The, the November Thanksgiving yeah. Tom Hanks yeah. feel. Very yeah. American yeah. And, and celebratory. So, Yeah, and we're, we're talking in terms of quintessential things. Tom Hanks is quintessential comfort. Mm-hmm. And uh, for a while, Tom Hanks was quintessential romantic comedy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, we haven't done a T. Hanks uh, romantic comedy. There's several quintessential Hankses. Yeah. And we haven't done the romantic comedy quintessential Hanks. Right. And uh, we're going a little bit later in that run. And 
I think this movie also has got some real autumnal vibes too. Yes. And so maybe you've guessed it, but we're going to be doing from 1998, directed, written by Nora Ephron. You've got mail. Mm. Pull out that dial-up modem. Yep. That get get that, get that AOL, AOL CD going. out of the mailbox. Yep. That's been sitting there with the 28 hours free. Start your desktop with the pull chain. Did yours like have a pull your, chain? Uh, like your lawnmower? Yeah, I remember those. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had to give it give it just enough gas. <laughs> yeah. Put the choke in. Yep. Got some fresh oil in yep. there. In that in that gateway, that gateway two thousand used to work. Yeah. That gateway two thousand diesel desktop that, that you had. Cow box. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so I feel like with this movie, we're kind of getting we're kind of getting a twofer here because sure. you've got Meg Ryan. Too. Yeah. I mean, romantic comedy with Tom Hanks comedies, yeah. and Meg Ryan. Are you That's kidding me? That's your turkey or mashed potatoes. That's a turkey and mashed potatoes. There's the metaphor. <laughs> there it. it is. It was somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm super jazzed for You've Got Mail. Yeah. I've got my, my turkey Tom Hanks and my mashed potatoes Meg Ryan. <laughs> and I'm jazzing to it like Duke Ellington. <laughs> yeah. You're jazzing to it. Uh, also, Steve Zahn, if I'm not Steve mistaken. Steve Zahn, that's right. Greg Kinnear. Greg Kinnear. Parker Posey's in this movie. That's right. This is going to be fun. Dave Chappelle's in this movie. That's right. And I guess if you really want to pull bonus points here, yeah, this is all based on a 1940 movie called The Shop Around the Corner, which I it's with Jimmy Stewart. Which I think is the name of Meg Ryan's store. Oh, yeah. There's a little callback the there. Yeah. A little callback there. But um, it's a great movie. So watch the original, too. Why not? Yeah, a little trivia about the original. Um, it was also email, and audiences didn't connect because they had no idea what... <laughs> they didn't explain it didn't at explain all. explain it at all. Yeah. It was just Jimmy Stewart uh, emailing and no explanation no. and no other sort of future or sci-fi Not stuff. even... There's no computers in it. So they just talk about email. Right. But they don't even show right. a Right, they computer. don't show those scenes, yeah. It's just sort of voiceover... Like I got this email. Yeah, people wonder nobody, if it would have been a bigger hit. Nobody thinks to ask. Like, what's an email? Right. How was that sent? No. Well, audiences did, and audiences it, it, did. It, it yeah. really didn't. It, it didn't. It didn't help it at the box office. So a lot of people then were confused about what this email stuff was. A lot of people nowadays are confused. Why aren't we talking about how Ernst Lubitsch knew what email was right. so In long ago, and how did he do that? It's like people would have been curious to see how you start up a computer with that yeah, pull chain. The pull chain. <laughs> I mean, but I guess it maybe I think I think a lot of that ended up on the cutting room floor. It was Probably. just it was just too long, you know, to show. I mean, by the how time you got mail came around, you didn't need to do that. But right. in yeah, shop around the corner, it would have been a very different movie, much right. longer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would be interesting because uh, if if you're sort of of the of the later generation watching, you've got mail now. Um, you know, you might be asking like, why doesn't he just text? Mm. Yeah, didn't do that in 98. No, and that's going to be like blast from the past. There was a time when you just couldn't text right. your local bookstore owner. What's a bookstore? Yeah, good point. Or send a picture. No. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to, yeah. to kind of... To our, our Gen Z fans. <laughs> right, yeah. You're going to be as lost in the opposite direction that's right. as audiences and I mean, in 1940 if you, were. If, 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 you, if, you, if you watch it now... And you really like get into it, you might wonder like, is true love even possible anymore? Right. Because now we've got texting mm-hmm. and pictures that you could just send, mm-hmm. and it's not you've got Tinder. No. You've got mail. Yeah. Not even instant messenger. Not instant messenger. Just, just email. email. That's the whole point, Nate. It's in the title. I, I know. I know. See, it I'm already I'm already kind of out of the, yeah, the wow. headspace. You lost technology it. wise. Well, you'll yeah. go right back. Yeah. And uh, maybe we'll be so influenced by the the limited technology that we won't put out an episode. Yeah, because podcasts didn't exist. That's in true. Year. That's true. Although you know, or you know, you watch it and you think they need to update this again. Yeah. Every every couple decades, yeah. they need a new. And it, it could yeah. be you've got Tinder. Yeah, you've got Tinder. <laughs> That's exactly right. What was interesting about the shop around the corner again? There were podcasts in that. There weren't in you've got mail, but Jimmy Stewart. Had that was that was how his, that was his shop got big was, was they had podcast. a podcast yeah but they never explained Again, what a podcast they is didn't. Jimmy Stewart's just like it was not a radio podcast. show yeah it wasn't a radio show he was like folks me, me undies is a is a great <laughs> and um, they had and they didn't even explain what me undies is either no they didn't explain any of it again this is what audiences did, couldn't connect with podcast 
email, and, email. and they yeah. just expected the audience to know. Right. And yeah, it, you know, and the box office suffered. But they cut that. it from You've Got Mail because people were like, I have no idea what a podcast right. is, and that really kind right. of took Be- me out right. of the movie. Be- because by then they kind of had original. a better idea of like, well, you can't just introduce yeah, yeah, all this yeah, stuff yeah, to yeah, an audience right. and not and not yeah. explain it. Right. And we don't got time to do that, so right. let's just stick with the, the email. Yeah. Really fascinating. Full of great trivia here. I mean, we've kind of dug pretty deep into this mm-hmm. before we've yeah. even gotten into the episode. Yeah. But, and, and, and we're not even doing Shop Around the Corner. No. So, so set the table, lay out the napkins, light the candles, because it's a romantic comedy. That's right. And uh, get ready for a fantastic yeah. tea Thanksgiving. I'm excited for it. I know yeah. you are, too. Absolutely. You don't even need to say it. I refuse to. Good. All right. Well... Tell us how you us, are yeah. uh, preparing for Tea Thanksgiving or what you thought of Get Out. We want to hear it all. So uh, to listen or comment on this or any of our past episodes, find us at canwestillbefriends.net or email us at feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. Find us on Facebook at Can We Still Be Friends Podcast or Instagram at Can We Still Be Friends Pod. If you'd like to leave us a voice message and perhaps be featured on the podcast, call us at 847 847- Three zero six nine five three two, or email us a voice memo. As always, we'd love it if you could subscribe and leave us a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. Those ratings really help spread the word about our show. Can We Still Be Friends is written and produced by Ryan Ebling and Nate Goss and edited by Nate Goss. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>